Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Welcome to Glad Tidings, the Athletics Everton Football Club podcast. I'm Greg O'Keefe and I'm joined by Patrick Boyland, who's thawing out as we speak. Not that he needed to uh, thaw out as much as he needed to calm down, blow on his coffee and just take a moment to reflect on probably one of the most insane nights at Goodison Park in a long time. I'm very jealous, despite the freezing temperatures, that he got to be there, not me, last night. Because we're, of course, here to talk about Everton. Five, Tottenham Hotspur, four in the FA Cup. The Blues into the quarterfinals after a staggering uh, win over Jose Mourinho's side. Uh, plenty more as well in this episode, including lots of FA Cup talk. Look back at United. We'll talk about a classic game against Fulham ahead of the game on Sunday. And then talk about some articles this week, including Michael Cox on Ancelotti's tactical evolution. As for his tactical evolution, we're seeing it in its glory right now. And Paddy, you you saw <laughs> the uh, unhinged version of it against Spurs last night. What on earth did you make of that? <laughs> I was actually trying to work that out on the spot as this was happening. <laughs> it kind of went completely against my expectations, what I imagined the game would be like. I expected it to kind of be cagey and for both teams to feel their way in. But that really early goal for Spurs just killed that idea completely. And it was, I described it as a basketball game on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. It was just kind of attack after attack after attack, just absolutely relentless. It was a privilege to be there. Um, obviously, as, as you point out, ridiculously cold. But it's probably worth pointing out this. Not only was this one of the great Everton FA Cup ties because of the way things happened, I think most likely that we're talking about one of the greatest cup ties in the competition's recent history when you look at a 5-4 yeah. result and the topsy-turvy nature of what happened. So, so yeah, an absolute privilege to be there. Went contrary to my expectations, completely confounded my expectations. <laughs> and sometimes you just have to sit back and just go, I'll aim to understand this, but I have to admit that probably I'm not going to. It, it was just <laughs> mad. <laughs> I think, yeah, well, I, I don't disagree with you that it's probably one of the uh, modern, in terms of modern um, cup ties, one of the, a classic already, and it's probably one of the greatest. I don't think that's hyperbole at all. I think every neutral would, who'd have watched that would have been utterly entertained. I don't think you were the only one who needed, a, well, needed to say a minute, a long time to try and make sense of it and probably ultimately failed. I'd imagine Everton's uh, analysis team are going to be pouring over that one for a while to come. Uh, albeit with smiles on the faces of the outcome. Um, I urge anyone, if you haven't not read Paddy's piece yet, please do. He manages to capture the, the sort of chaos and ju- jubilation of it. And um, I know, look, we're not getting carried away. It, it, it's uh, still a reasonably early round. Well, you know, it, it's an important time 
we're now getting towards the business end. I think it was just the manner of it and obviously the opposition as well. Two teams that pride themselves on being defensively solid. Um, it just all went out the window. The thing for me though, Pradhan, and you, you touch on this as well, is the resilience and, and character that we showed. And now I would say that it gives me a feeling, and you, you know, how could you not? But it gives me a feeling that the FA Cup is success might be tangible in it this season now. Once you can come through that sort of tie, you know, we'll, we'll wait for the draw, but it just feels, I said, I tweeted, like it just feels that maybe this is a special one. Yeah, well, Duncan Ferguson was on post-match duty and he was asked about that. He said, it, effectively, the question was, do you now get the impression that Everton's name is on the cup? Oh. And he, he kind of laughed and he said, no, I wouldn't say that really. Um, still a lot of good teams in the competition. Um, we'll need to play well to get through the next few rounds. And he's entirely right, by the way. You look at the calibre of opposition Everton are likely to come up against in the next two, three rounds if they if they make it that far. It, it really is still the, cre- the creme de la creme of, of English football. But results like the one on Wednesday night, I think at the very least, point to tangible progress. Last time, as I mentioned in the match piece, last time Everton beat uh, a kind of a supposed big six side uh, in a cup competition was was in 2016 when Lukaku mm. kind of wrought havoc on, on Chelsea at Goodison Park. Yeah, this at several different different points in the match to me felt like a game that Everton nearly always lose. I had memories of initially the debacle against Manchester United earlier in the season in the Carabao where Everton were completely overrun. Early in the game, it looked like that was what was going to happen again. And then later on, as Everton kind of a resilient and hang on in there, I'm thinking back to Leicester in the Carabao last season, when Everton obviously, it's a valiant defeat in the end, but a defeat nonetheless on penalties to bring the cup run to an end. The fact that Everton managed to overcome this hurdle, beating a a big six side, and again, in massive quotation marks, big six side, because I know some people would would take issue with that phrase. The fact they were able to do that, I think, says something about the direction of travel under Carlo Ancelotti. Yeah, it does. And I think you've got to put it not just in the context of the cup itself and what Wednesday night meant in that regard, but also put it together with the performance that you were there to witness on Saturday uh, Old Trafford, where Everton fought back um, on, a, on a number of occasions, actually, to, uh, to earn a, a very decent point against a, a good title challenging Manchester United side in this in in the in such a short space of time given the players Everton were missing as well for those two games I think it, it does show the res, the resilience the grit all those things you've you've spoken about there that's actually more pleasing for me than anything else that the character and the spirit because I think sometimes Everton have been their own, own worst enemy and almost tripped themselves up in these games you rightly point out the litany of near misses in recent years. Um, of course, this will be as, as the furthest we've got in the Cup since Martinez um, in, in 2016. Uh, and it's, it's just to underline the chaos since then. We, you know, we've obviously had... Uh, you know, he was sacked not long after that when we got to the semi-finals, but came up short. And, you know, to temper the optimism that we're, we're all feeling, I don't like to, but there's obviously some, the spectre of Man City is still in this Cup and they're just this ominous Death Star cruising through every competition at the moment, aren't they? And just like sucking the, 
the life and, and uh, <laughs> opposition out of anyone. Um, and you know, seeing them just ease through in second year against uh, against Swansea, you, you're always thinking, look, we're going to have to beat someone like that to to, to get our hands on on a plot. And you know that's that's a shame. But sometimes though, I <laughs> how many cliches do you want? But sometimes there is a magic about their fake up. I don't care what anyone says. And sometimes. It feels like maybe your name can be on the cup, and I don't know. I'm not a superstitious person. Been an Everton fan far too long to, to believe in, in romance, <laughs> but uh, I just wonder this year. I mean, even you mentioned Leicester last season with such a valiant comeback, and that 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 then to end in, in getting kicked in the teeth in penalties. And I remember that we wrote about Seamus Coleman in tears in the dressing room, and Leighton Baines in tears. And I think Seamus Coleman's cameo from the bench last night and the absolute sheer determination to. Um, not lose that game, said everything about the character, not just the other players, but the players that are there now. Yeah, absolutely. I thought Coleman was magnificent when he came on, obviously playing in a initially um, a, a different, more advanced role to the one <laughs> he's, he's used to. Um, it was a throwback to the very, um, to his very early days under David Moy yeah. when he played on the right wing and he actually scored. His first goal, I think, came against Tottenham at the Gladys Street end, uh, kind of a diving header. In an, in an Everton win. I was behind the Glory Street goal that day. It was it was fantastic. But it, it, he rolled back the years to produce one of his best performances of the season, completely buccaneering, just a sheer sheer force of nature in, in the way he was carrying ball down that right flank. I just did not expect to see it, I'll be honest. And my worry before the game, looking at the bench, Everton named seven substitutes to Tottenham's nine. Tottenham's bench has Harry Kane, Deli Alley and numerous others, number of other England internationals like Harry Winks, who actually I thought was terrible when he came on, by the way, but, but that's by the by. Um, Everton's bench, by contrast, seven players, two goalkeepers, two rookie, inexperienced goalkeepers in Jar Virginia and Harry Tyra. Bernard, who nearly left the club in January and goes on to be the match winner. And then Seamus Coleman. And I was kind of looking at him going, well, if this is tight, nip and tuck towards the end of the game, Spurs have got all these great players to call on and Everton are doing a real patch-up job and it just did not turn out like that. And I think that's a credit to the guys that came off the bench and also some of the ones that started as well. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. It almost seemed to me that when the going got tough and things got stretched, Davis and Ducoy just came into their own. Ducoy just galloping forward through the midfield. We haven't got his running stats. Very hard to get hold of. But I'd love to know how much ground he covered. 
And Tom Davis, again, absolutely fantastic um, with his distribution, with his aggression off the ball to win possession back. You obviously wrote about him fairly recently, Greg, and, uh, and he was great. But I think this was a continuation of that for me. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, let's let's talk a bit more about Tom Davis, mate, because, uh, you know, perhaps the, the, the prologue to the, to the spirit we saw last night was the Man United game coming back and showing our resilience and, and keep going till the end to, to get something from the game. Um, and my piece on Monday from that game was obviously all about Tom Davies and, and, and his flourishing recently um, from a player who I wrote uh, earlier this year, if not late last year, uh, a piece kind of casting aspersions on whether or not he had a future at Everton as much more than a, a very periphery man who would actually be better served going elsewhere to what we're seeing now, which is in you know in adversity and injury, he's stepped up, but he's not only stepped up as a squad, as a body in the midfield, he's stepped up as a increasingly as a, as a really uh, influential performer. And he's, he's for me, you saw in the United game, albeit with the little kind of uh, caveat of the could have done a bit better for Fernandez's goal. Look, it was yeah, a little bit better. It was an, a world class strike, and you know he would be the first player to stand off him or be in two minds with someone of his ability. But nevertheless, he played a lovely ball through the pre-assist for the equaliser uh, to get us back into the game and um, and showed a lot of what he's about. Then last night, he I thought, like you said, he was sensational on the ball, uh, off it. I thought it was interesting to see what Ancelotti said about wanting him to um, take less touches and keep things simple and move the ball. Um, and I think... He's obviously an intelligent player and he's obviously listened to what Ancelotti's been asking him to do. And rather than overplaying it, scurrying around and being risk-averse, what I'm loving is seeing that he's, he's got his head up and he's reminding everybody, me included, who I've got to hold my hands up, you know, I'm surprised by this, that he can play the ball forward effectively and he can compete Physically, I mean, he's not the biggest guy in terms of stature, his height. I don't think that's an issue really, but he is quite slight of build. But, but so was Leon Osman. And, and look at the career he had. And now I'm looking at Tom Davies and I'm totally having to reappraise what I thought about him because we're seeing uh, maybe Osman's a decent touch point in terms of his later development. Tom's only 22, so it's hardly late. But we're seeing everything that we hope for, aren't we? Yeah, I, I think so. And what what I think we've seen this season um, are steps forward in Davis's game. I think there's a greater positional discipline about what he's doing, sitting in front of the back four and breaking up play. You make a really interesting point about his build and maybe not being the most physically imposing naturally as, as a specimen. I always think it's more about the aggression you show and how much you commit to winning that ball and having that cheer grit and, and desire to, to do so. He made a few of those tackles in difficult circumstances for Everton on Wednesday night. One pretty early on to win the ball back for it. I think it was probably Everton's first chance of the game. And it just continued for, for the whole game. Wrote in the piece, he had the most touches of any Everton player. He had a pass completion rate above 90%. I think 40 of the 75 passes were forward <laughs> and into the opposition half, I should add. So we're not just talking about a guy who's passing sideways here. And I think more than anything, he's just taken responsibility for his position, for his role in the side. 
and for what he's doing on the ball. I actually think we saw a little bit more of him on the ball um, on, on Saturday at Old Trafford and on Wednesday night than we have done in the past. Lovely threaded pass for, for the goal at Old Trafford, as you mentioned. But I love the way he played on the half turn. And he was just, some of the turns and some of his kind of touch and movement on Wednesday night was, was really, really quite good and kind of reminiscent of the Davis that broke through. Uh, under under Martinez and Koeman. So hats off to him. Big improvement and long may it continue. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, spot on. Um, and let's hope it does continue because we need, I mean, we haven't got the biggest squad, have we? And we need, we need. Uh, well, you spoke about the Chelsea bench. Um, so we need genuine depth and, and strength on the bench. And uh, what I would say is, look, Alan is clearly a fantastic player and he's Ancelotti's man. But there's by... You know, Tom keeps this up. There's a real selection headache. And, you know, Andre Gomez has had to step up recently. He was very good at Old Trafford. Um, Decore, as you say, was sensational last night. It's a real headache to pick that central midfield as it stands. And then, you know, Jean-Philippe Gabamon, that's even without talking about him, um, finally emerging on, on the scene consistently. Uh, so Tom Davis has stepped up to the occasion, you know, rose to the occasion. He really is doing his chances a world of good and, and you know credit to Ancelotti for, for sticking by him. And, and you know what, in fairness as well, to Marco Silva, um, who always stood by him. At, at times, I don't think he did him any favours with giving him the captain's armband and things like that, but that's not Tom's fault. Um, but one thing that, that that Marco did do was was stand by him and, and, and value him. And I think we're seeing, we're seeing consistently why now, yeah. aren't we? So really, really good stuff from him. Going forward, in terms of you know, we've obviously spoken briefly about the United game. Just just to touch on that again, I think it did show again what what we're building spirit wise in the dressing room, didn't it? Yeah. Everton would usually have folded um, I, 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 just after half time, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Everton of old, at half time, being two goals down and having seen Calvert-Lewin miss a, a really good chance just before the break. I think the Everton of all would have gone on to lose that game 4-5-0. Um, so certainly under a couple of previous Everton managers, that would have been the case. You get the sense that it just doesn't transpire like that these days. They're just not allowed to, to go out and, and perform like that again for a second successive half. Obviously, Davis takes the onus on himself again to create but Ducore is in the right position. And mm-hmm. all the things that we saw on Wednesday night came to the fore on, on Saturday too. They were they were resilient when they needed to be. They, on the whole, um, defended better after the break, deprived Man United of more space. Um, and a lot was made of the, of the blueprints and the fact that it, in, in quotation marks, wasn't working in the first half. I think the reason it wasn't working was because Everton was so coy with the way they were distributing the ball. Shy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah t- time after time, you'll have been able to see this much better than I was because you were there. But time after time, I was looking at the runs Richarlison was making and just thinking, pick your head up in the first half and find him. There's loads of space in the channel and Everton can get joy here. Obviously, Everton conceded from one of those situations. Ducore giving the ball away and in the end, Cavani was un- unmarked at the, uh, the back stick to, to, to make it 1-0 for the opener. 
what changed after the break was that Everton simply grabbed the ball by the horns, started taking more chances, being braver in possession. Um, and it's easier to do that when you've got somebody like Carlo Ancelotti in your corner. It's, it's much, much easier because you've got a guy there that's been there and done that. So I don't think it was a massive tactical innovation. In that second half, it was just that the players carried out the blueprint to the nth degree and hadn't done so in the first half. Like I say, I think while there'll be a temptation to separate these two games and results because of the fact that one's Premier League and one's Cup, I think you've got to group them together and see them as kind of growing evidence for the shift in mentality that, that we've seen from this from this Everton side in, in recent weeks and months. Let's not forget, they're still missing really key players. Alan Ancelotti hopes will be back for, for the game against Fulham on Sunday, although that's still to be 100% confirmed. Um, Joshua King was cup-tied for the, um, for the game against Tottenham, should be back on Sunday. Uh, James, Gomez all out with very minor knock. So you would hope they come back too. So Everton have had two. Uh, a lot of people have had a moan this season in the Premier League without naming names about injury problems and um, who they're missing. Ancelotti, to, to my mind, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Greg, because you're in the press conferences too, I don't think he's done that once. And Everton have just carried on and on and on, getting results in difficult circumstances. Luca Dean out for, for six weeks. Alan out for two, three months. Gabamin, I mean, a marquee signing, but just nowhere to be seen now for, for the best part of, of 18 months. Just low, countless examples, Calvert-Lewin injured, Richarlison suspended, all these players that have missed games. But Everton, kind of the, the juggernaut, just kind of chugs on and on and on. And if anything, it's, it's speeding up. It's getting a little bit better. Very partridge from me, but there you go. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, that was... You're right, uh, and Carlo's just been taking it on the chin and, and plodding on, um, blowing on his coffee and, and staying as cool as ever. It, you did raise a good point to Albert Calvert-Lewin, and I hope his knee problem isn't serious. It, you know, it didn't seem on the serious end of the scale when he was able to walk off, and then when he reappears on the bench, that's always a good sign um, that he's not obviously been sent straight for a scan or whatever. So let's hope that that, that was just caution from Everton's medical team and Carlo from withdrawing him. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking back at an era, perhaps, when we, well, we definitely did have another talismanic striker, um, Let's go back to 2001, 2002, sorry. Um, so not long around, you know, not far from this time of year, March, uh, and a classic game which will uh, echo, certainly we hope the scoreline will echo, uh, Sunday's match against Fulham. Everton 2, Fulham 1, David Moyes' first game in charge. It was Saturday the 16th of March. And the, the image I've got was Duncan Ferguson, arm around with David Unsworth, you know, punching the air celebrating uh, the start of the David Moyes era, successful start of the David Moyes era uh, after an entertaining game. Um, do, you, do you remember much about that? But, I mean, I suppose you, you were... <laughs> no, I mean, like many of the, our other uh, readers and listeners, you you probably wouldn't have been particularly old, but you, what do you remember about that game? I was saying it's what, March 2002? March 2002, yeah. So I'd have been nine years old. Um, so it is testing my powers and memory, mate. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I did, I did need a little refresh. Um, the most vivid image for me is is the one you mentioned, and then the second after that is David Unsworth wheeling away after I think he scored after twenty seven seconds. Uh, the, the first, first goal of the the David Moyes era comes after twenty seven seconds, and it's kind of a it's a long kind of throw into the box, and it comes out, and obviously. Unsworth then thumps it in on the half volley, I think, uh, into the park end goal. Great teams that day. Really good atmosphere. Starts the reign of David Moyes with a superb volley, edge of the box. And it doesn't get much better when you start your Everton career as manager. Fairy tale start for Everton. The other thing that I remember is that we kind of plucked Moyes from, from Preston. When he came in, contrary to some of the stuff you see now. He was hailed as this kind of bold, progressive, young and up-and-coming manager. And he, he spoke about how he kind of had an ageing squad at Everton and he wants to completely <laughs> rejuvenate it and revitalise it. In the end, he ends up relying on those kind of old, experienced heads. It's Worth, it's yeah. Ferguson, uh, Kevin Campbell, all, all those kind of guys um, to pull Everton through. Um Actually, looking at the Fulham side that day, there are some really decent players in there. I mean, Steve Malbronk was a good footballer, but I mean, Louis Sahar's playing for playing for them. I think he missed a guilt edge chance towards the end to, yeah. to equalise. But but Everton found a way through. They obviously continued to find ways through that season and emerged relatively unscathed at the end, finishing fifteenth. But when Moyes came in, they were only one point off the and one place. I think off the off the relegation zone. So he, he he saved Everton that season. We we have to remember that, I think, whatever you think of him in the uh in the present day. And um 
yeah, a good game to look back on that, actually. A good game to look back on. There's not been many classics between Everton and Fulham over the years in the Premier League, but that's certainly one of my kind of favourite ones that I can think of. Yeah, it was. It was just, it, it was just the buzz of, obviously, Moyes coming in and Unsworth scoring so soon into the game, giving everything a lift. And obviously, it's never that straightforward. Everton have to, you know, really push for, for the... Um, for the win to get over the line uh, after Malbronk sort of pulled one back. But, you know, David Moyes, obviously, little, little did we know then, but it was going to be the start of a, a really memorable year in the Premier League. And, and um, you know, you look at the team and it was a very much an Everton in evolution. It shows what Moyes inherited, you know, in terms of like older players, Jesper Wonkvist coming involved, you know, uh, Joe Max Moore uh, on the bench as well. You've got like Neil Clark and, and, um, You've got some real players who didn't really have a future. Players come towards the end of their careers, like David Unsworth. But um, Steve Simonson was in goal, of course. But yeah, it was a it was a memorable game, and you know uh, it was the sign of better things to come. Let's hope that is again, like I say, is uh, something that we can repeat the trick on Sunday. Um, before we wrap up, I just need, we should talk about a great piece by Michael Cox, like I mentioned at the top of the show about the. Um, Ancelotti's evolution, I think, really interesting. I, you know, I'm, I'm here all day for pieces about uh, certainly older and Carlo and, and what he was doing when he was at Milan, and well, sorry, younger Carlo, older in terms of historically, what he was doing when he was at Milan, and how he, you know, kind of went from being a real Arrigo Sacchi advocate and inflexible four-four-two disciple to sort of being more pragmatic and, and being kind of persuaded to change by. Uh, having players like Zidane at his disposal, it, it's just you read the piece, and you know, honestly, really do recommend that, you, that once you read Paddy's piece from about the game last night, go and check that out. Um, you can get all that great analysis and, and features, um, and you can get ad free versions of this podcast. Well, actually, for less than a quid a week, uh, just a quick plug there. You only need to go to theathletic.com forward slash forward slash Everton Pod. To sign up and enjoy the athletic for the rest of the year. So, um, if you haven't already yet, it's theathletic.com forward slash Everton Pod. Um, I think I wonder what you made, made that piece, Pat, because I, you know, I learned some things I didn't know about Ancelotti and um, just about the, the breadth of his career so far. It's uh, staggering still sometimes. He's there yeah. To manage it. yeah, I put a tweet out plugging that piece from, from Michael Cox the, the other day, and I think I put something along the lines of. Um, works around and tailors a system towards players like James and Zinedine Zidane. And it's when you go back over these players and look at that kind of great, <laughs> great AC Milan side and some of the great uh, Real Madrid teams that he, he managed, that you really see the kind of the breadth and the success of his career so far. Um, sometimes it is still is a bit of a pinch yourself moment when you see him in that Everton dugout. And I'm not entirely sure that that's ever likely to go away. So in terms of the piece itself, uh, really good luck as everything from, from Michael and kind of chronicling the trends over the years. Quite a lot of what he says chimes with what we've seen ourselves. And so far as James is obviously a very important player and Ancelotti wants to find ways to pigeonhole him or shoehorn him for, for a bit, if I'm trying to look for a better phrase there, find a role for him, a very specific role within the side. 
it started out obviously on the right of the of the, uh, of the attack, but when sides cottoned on to the fact that they could attack down that side, and Everton became vulnerable there, it, obviously then Hammers shifted inside to a number ten. I think ultimately Everton looked more secure that way, whether it's Hammers as the ten or Sigurdsson there. Um, both of them can obviously rotate, but what we've mm-hmm. seen, I think, is is tactical flexibility across Ancelotti's career. He's he's never been really wedded to one sole formation, apart from at the early days of of four four two. At Everton, we've seen four, five, six different systems. It, it feels like just about every week there's a new innovation at this at this point in time, doesn't it? With two false nines who play kind of. Sigurdsson and Hammers, who played at Wolves, and and then the the diamond at Old Trafford, um, the four two three one in other situations, a back three in others. Not all of them have been hundred percent successful. I don't think the back three experiment really worked at all this season. But what you've got to say and what you've got to give give them credit for is the fact that very quickly they cotton on to that fact and they find ways to rectify it. And Everton invariably come out stronger the other end. So he kind of dispenses with that three-at-the-back system. And in the past, I think we've been crying out for Everton managers to move away from their ideology and be a little bit more pragmatic to get results. Silver, a little bit. Um, certainly Martinez is the one that comes kind of slap-bang straight to, straight to mind at this moment in time. Ancelotti's different, and I think that's why Everton have got a better chance now than ever before, because they will adapt and they will be pr- pragmatic where it needs to be. At times, they'll be more open. At times, they'll be more coy and, and more defensive. Um, it's a hallmark of the manager, I think, and, and what he's done throughout his career. Absolutely. And, and long may continue. I sort of just feel that that pragmatism um, is, is really important, uh, especially when you, you're tied in evolution and you haven't got the money to go and buy elite players to wed to one system like Guardiola has done at, at City. Um, you've got to kind of cut your cloth accordingly and Ancelotti seems to be the master of doing that with the players he's got and tremendous uh, as I say long may continue so listen thanks so much for listening and um, again what what a night we hope you all enjoyed it as much as we did get on the site get on the app have a look about the, all the content that's come from the last few eventful days hope you, uh, you, you enjoy that too and here's to many more wins on the horizon and a, a favourable cup draw thanks so much for listening Athletic.